get to get to know and love and serve and be loved and served by. We ask you bless our time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see. I don't know if we'll. I'm not going to back all the way up to question 20. Let's uh, let's just back up to question 24, which asked, "Why must the Redeemer be truly God?" Let's say the answer, no. 24, which asks, "Why was it necessary for Christ, the Redeemer, to die?" Since death is the punishment for sin. Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin and bring us back to God. By His substitutionary atoning death, He alone redeems us from hell and gains for us forgiveness of sin, righteousness, and everlasting life. Okay, Jackson, thank you for sitting where you need to be sitting. Other boys, you need to move. Question 25, does Christ's death mean all our sins can be forgiven? Yes, because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for our sin. God graciously imputes Christ's righteousness to us as if it were our own and will remember our sins no more. And last week, what else does Christ's death redeem? Answer, Christ's death is the beginning of the redemption and renewal of every part of fallen creation as He powerfully directs all things for His own glory and creation's good. Okay, did anybody memorize this question? Any of our kids last week? Macy, you got it? All right, stand up. What else does Christ's death redeem? Nice job. I couldn't even get the gum out fast enough. Are you ready for this? Next time. Hey, you got the question right. That's the important thing. Okay, Miles, what else does Christ's death redeem? Nice job. Coming in. Colton, you got it too? All right, stand up. What else? Yes. Nice job, nice job. I'm surprised he didn't answer stuff. <laughs> Anyone else? Okay, Stella, what else does Christ's death redeem? Nice job, Stella. There you go. Nice grab. Okay, Alexander, what else does Christ's death redeem? Nice job, Alexander. Coming in. Okay, anyone else? All right, let's say it one more time together. What else does Christ's death redeem? Christ's death is the beginning of the redemption and renewal of every part of fallen creation as He powerfully directs all things for His own glory and creation's good. Okay, so that brings us now. Let's learn. For this next week, question 27, the question asks, are all people, just as they were lost through Adam, we've learned that all people were lost, we all fell in Adam, so are all people, just as they were all lost through Adam, 
are all saved through Christ? And here's the answer. Let's say it together. No. Only those who are elected by God and united to Christ by faith. Nevertheless, God in His mercy demonstrates common grace even to those who are not elect by restraining the effects of sin and enabling works of culture for human well-being. And the yellow, for the kids, no, only those who are elected by God and united to Christ by faith. So let's read some scriptures here. The question is asking, basically, is uh, some of you have heard of uh, a false teaching called universalism. Universalism is the belief that everyone is saved. Everyone is saved. Um, Christ died, and we have passages like Christ died for the sins of the whole world, and some would take that to mean that that means that everyone is saved. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. At the end of the day, everyone is not saved. Everyone does not place their faith in Christ. Those who place their faith in Christ, they are saved. And those who place their faith in Christ, Ephesians 1 and elsewhere says that they are those who are elect. So let me read a few of the scriptures. Romans 5.17 For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, so that's talking about Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So everyone's a sinner. We're all sinful because of Adam. But according to Romans 5.17, who's saved? Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. That's who's saved. Those who receive the abundance of grace those who receive the free gift of righteousness, they, the verse says, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The second part of this verse answers another important question. Okay, so not everyone is saved. Does that mean that God's grace is only limited to those who are saved. Grace means undeserved favor. So when someone gives you something that you don't deserve, you didn't earn it, you didn't work for it, you didn't merit it, if they give you something that you didn't earn or deserve, that's giving you grace. That's giving you grace. And God gives grace. Does God only give grace to those He saves? He clearly gives grace to those he saves. But does he also give the undeserved blessing, undeserved gifts, even to those who are not saved? The answer is, nevertheless, God in his mercy demonstrates what historically theologians have called common grace. So there's grace that's given to his people, to Christians. It's very special. But that there's common grace that God gives to others. He gives common grace even to those who are not elect. How? By restraining the effects of sin and enabling works of culture for human well-being. Let me read you a couple verses and then I'll read you the commentary that I think will explain that. So for example, here's common grace. Matthew 5, 45. 
For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Rain here is a, a good thing, of course. Especially when this was being written. Okay? You may not feel as dependent on rain as you actually are, but they certainly felt dependent on the rain. If it didn't rain, they were in trouble, right? Crops wouldn't grow, they wouldn't have food, they'd die. Same is true for us, but it doesn't feel like that because we're not out harvesting things from fields anymore, most of us. We're going down to the grocery store and, and picking up what someone else has worked for. So, let me ask a question. When God sends rain, does it only rain for Christians? Right? So you've got a gar you're a Christian, you have a garden in your backyard. The person next to you is not a Christian and they've got a garden. When the rain comes, is it like maneuver and only rain on your garden so that you get nice tomatoes and cucumbers, or does it also rain on your neighbor? Of course it rains on your neighbor's garden. What about sunrise? You ever seen a a, a beautiful sunrise? This time of year we see them a lot, beautiful sunset. Do only Christians see that? Only Christians know it's from God. Maybe only Christians thank God. Maybe only Christians give Him praise and glory for it. Maybe those things, but even those who are not Christians see that. That's an undeserved blessing. That's an undeserved gift. It's common grace. Psalm 145, 9. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. God is good to everyone, and God is merciful to everyone. He is better to those He has saved. He is more merciful through Jesus Christ, of course, to Christians. But His mercy and His goodness, His kindness, extends to all. What does, and we've answered this already in the catechism, think about it. What, what does everyone, including you and me, deserve because of our sin? What do we really deserve? Stella. Yeah, we deserve death and judgment. That's how bad sin is. This is what we deserve for our sin. So anything other than death and judgment is kindness, grace. It's undeserved. Psalm 145, 9, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Romans 2, 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That's confronting the sinner. That's confronting someone who does not love God. And it's saying God is he's being kind to you and patient. How is he being patient? That you're not you're not dead right now. You're still still breath in your lungs. You're still under the warmth of the sun. So don't presume. Don't presume that God's kindness and forbearance and patience can just be taken advantage of and taken for granted. That kindness is meant, what does the verse say? To lead you to repentance. The fact that God's a good God, a gracious God, a merciful God, should lead us to turn to Him. Those are some of the verses. Of course, there's more. So let me read to you some of the things that uh, were written in the commentary. So you know where I get these, right? If you go to the app or the website and the commentary, there's a few different buttons. A scripture, I think there's a song to sing, and then there's, uh, and then there's commentary. There's always two commentators. Usually it's, it's one living 
and usually it's one from history. Um, and so this week I thought the, the commentaries were really good and, and really helpful because this issue of common grace is, is an interesting one to me. So um, or it's especially interesting. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh preacher, um, he said this, common grace, common grace is the term applied to those general blessings which God imparts to all men and women indiscriminately as he pleases, not only to his own people, but to all men and women according to his own will. So again, does God, this answer, question is answered, does God save everybody? No, God doesn't save everybody. Is God good to everybody? Yes, God is good to everybody. Yes, he is. Or again, common grace means that those general operations of the Holy Spirit in which, without renewing the heart, he exercises a moral influence whereby sin is restrained, order is maintained in social life, and civil righteousness is promoted. Here's what this means. Here's another form of God's goodness, God's common grace. Everybody's a sinner. We're all sinful, a Christian or not a Christian. Right? We're all still sinners. But none of us are as bad as we could be. And think especially of even non-believers. Think of non-believers. Think of people you know that aren't believers. Think of people you know that aren't Christians. I bet you know some people who they're not Christians. They're not believers. But morally speaking, you would say they're better than you are. I have people I know that I would say that about. And what I mean by better is just they're more kind than I am. They're more patient than I am. They seem to be better parents than I am. Um, they're better teachers than I am. I, I, could, I could go on. Um, they're more selfless than I am. Uh, they're more giving of their time and their resources than I am. And some of them are not even, they're not even Christians. Hey, what is that a sign of? Common grace. God's common grace. Okay, God, even in those who are not Christians, God restrains, restrains all of us, but he restrains us from being as, as bad as we could be. Okay, the truth is, is that our, our flesh, right, wants to only please ourselves, wants to do, do wickedness, wants to do evil, wants to sin. But uh, we don't have very many examples of people we would say that are as far as you could go. We do have some. You'd probably point to it and say, wow, that just looks like unrestrained wickedness and evil. But for the most part, right, part of God's common grace is that he is restraining evil in this world. That makes it, right, for so many who don't deserve it, a nice tolerable place to live, even though they don't deserve it. That's God's common grace. Let's see. So he says a couple other things, Martin Lloyd-Jones, oh, where he talks about culture here. I didn't understand that at first when I read this. God's common grace uh, enabling works of culture for human well-being. So what is that? What is that that God is doing that's a common grace enabling works of culture for human well-being? Lloyd-Jones says next to that is what is generally described as culture. By that I mean arts and science, an interest in uh, things of the mind, literature, architecture, sculpture, painting, music. Where do all these things come from? 
How do you explain men like Shakespeare or Michelangelo, right? These are, these are gifts, right? They are gifts, and they, they helped, they, they, they built culture. The answer from the Scripture is that all these people had their gifts and were able to exercise them as a result of the operation of common grace. This general influence of the Holy Spirit. So we people, we see amazing artists and amazing musicians and amazing scientists and and often they're not Christians. You don't have to be a Christian. You do need grace though. You do need favor. You do need help. And that's God's common grace. Timothy Keller, he is the contemporary, the modern commentator that they cited. He said, on the one hand, um, going back now to the beginning of this, uh, we learn that not all human beings will be saved. This question answers that. Yeah, it's true. Not all human beings will, will be saved. Um, in John 6, Jesus says, and this is the will of him who sent me. Jesus said this is the will of God the Father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And clearly, not everybody's going to be raised up on the last day. That means they go to heaven. So, not everyone is saved. Uh, Romans 8, 28 teaches a similar thing. Paul says in verse 30, Those whom God predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He glorified. And nobody is lost in that. Not everybody is glorified. That means go to heaven. Who's glorified and goes to heaven? Those who are justified. Who's justified? Those who are called. Who's called? Those who are predestined. So it all goes together. No one's lost in any of that. So it's teaching us that not all people will be saved. So that's the first part. Not everyone is saved, but on the other hand, God's grace in some way extends to all. And here's another definition he cites by Richard Mao. Is there a non-saving grace that is at work in the broader reaches of human cultural interaction, a grace that expedites a desire on God's part to bestow certain blessings on all human beings, elect and non-elect alike, blessings that provide the basis for Christians to cooperate with and even learn from non-Christians? And the Bible's answer is yes. Though not all people are going to be saved, God still gives His gifts of wisdom and insight across the face of the whole human race. Through art and through science, and through good government, and in other ways, God is making this world a far better place than it would be if only Christians had those gifts. Think about that. What if Christians were the only ones who had those gifts? It would be a much more difficult place to be. Man, it's already difficult. So again, here's the helpful balance. On the one hand, no, not everyone is to be saved. No, not everyone has the saving grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. But on the other hand, we must appreciate the common grace that God gives across the whole human race. We must see that God is helping us and helping in the world through many people who do not believe. And he encourages us to appreciate that. So let's say it one more time and then I'll pray. The question is, are all people just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ? And our answer is no. Only those who are elected by God and united to Christ by faith. Nevertheless, God in His mercy demonstrates common grace 
even to those who are not elect by restraining the effects of sin and enabling works of culture for human well-being. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this truth today. Thank you for, as Christians, thank you for the grace that you've given us. Thank you for saving us from our sin. And thank you, God, as we look around at this world, we see your grace in other forms as well. And we see others with undeserved gifts. We see others with undeserved abilities. We see others with undeserved blessings. And God, we marvel at your love and grace. We pray that you would help us and cause us to appreciate even the good things that you bring through people who don't believe in you. How you are able to use all as vessels to uh, deliver your goodness. And for those who have been helped by you, have received a measure of your grace to do good things, but don't believe in you, we pray that you would extend saving grace to them, that you would open their ears and open their eyes and open their hearts, that they would believe the gospel, that they would receive your son as their Lord and Savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.